Hello, and welcome to Laidback Lush. I'm Michael. I am Gabe. And this is our 10th episode. Woohoo! So we're going to be talking about sake today, but first we are celebrating. We have 100 downloads. Wow! Yeah, well, that, that, that's you guys cheering in the background. Yes. I'm sure that's exactly what you're doing. Yes, you as guys, soon as Michael said that, yeah, you guys stand us, and, and we appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Don't say that. It's a, Don't it's ever a, say that again. <laughs> <laughs> we just lost all of them. We are never we getting just, another hundred <laughs> <laughs> listens again. <laughs> well, it's been nice knowing you guys. Uh, so thank you for this journey. Yeah, thank, um, thanks. Sorry to end on such a sour note. No, it's a it's a modest milestone, but a milestone nonetheless. We. Uh, we weren't really expecting this to take off super quickly or anything like that. Yeah, especially considering neither of us have any kind of like social media following going into this or anything like that. No, we're not springboarding off of any sort of public career whatsoever. We both have worked and studied in the private sector for a very long time. So it's just really awesome to see that so many people are wanting to hear the content that we're creating and join us into the discussion of these various types of alcohol and these different crafts that are being created throughout the world. It really is special to us. I know that Gabe has been posting on social media. seems pretty excited about it. I'm yeah. also so excited because it, it means that we get to keep doing this. It means that we get to keep on discussing this and having a good time and learning about these things and then hopefully being able to communicate that to you. Yeah. Our viewers. Yep. Our our lovely viewers. So thank you guys so much for, for this milestone. Uh, it would not be possible without you. And also, uh, 10 episodes. I was doing some research on podcast statistics because, you know, I'm a nerd about things. But most podcasts don't make it to 10 episodes. A no lot kidding. Of them, yeah, a lot of them. I don't remember the exact number, but there's a, a large number that just don't make it this far. I, I think a lot of people who start podcasts are probably thinking that they're going to be the next Joe Rogan in, you know, five mm. episodes. And uh, that, unless you are already Joe Rogan, that doesn't happen. So no, very happy to have hit both yeah. of these. And it's kind of really cool that they both coincided with each other as well. Yeah, no, this is this is really cool for for us. So without further ado, we are talking about sake. Yes. I actually was in Japan for a very short period of time. In that time, I was working uh, as part of a disaster relief crew, which meant, in addition to being underage, that I didn't get a chance to enjoy sake. And I have never learned, like, a single thing about it. So today... <laughs> I have. Yeah, so Gabe, on the other hand, has apparently learned a lot, and I've seen him posting about the stuff. So today, um, I'm just going to be picking Gabe's brain about this. Mm -hmm. I, I did a brief overview of it, but I have a ton of questions, so I'm going into this super curious. Gabe also was kind enough to provide us with a wonderful uh, sake to try, Banryu. So this episode, I wanted to focus on, because sake is a very complex He process. started explaining it to me, and yeah. So I kind of wanted to give you a primer on if you want to get into sake, which again, I highly recommend if you can find it. I know it is kind of hard to find in a lot of places in the United States, but I just wanted to kind of give you guys some good labeling terms to know and understand so you can kind of know better what you are getting from a particular bottle of sake just looking and reading the label. Yeah. So this is mostly going to be just a way of navigating, which is something that I'm wanting to be able to do myself. So first things first. What is sake? So sake is a it's a fermented drink and it's also a brewed drink. It's kind of a, a strange hybrid between the two. It's more of a brewing process than a fermentation process, but it, there still is a fermentation process that happens. 
But what it is, is it's a alcoholic beverage made from polished rice. And by polished, what what do you mean by polished? Rice is a grain, right? Mm-hmm. So grains have husks on them. Mm-hmm. And sake rice, in particular, goes through a process where it is basically milled down and, and polished, quote-unquote, to remove a certain degree of that husk. Oh, so like in a giant tumbler or, or something That's like that? That's how I've heard that it's mainly done. Um, I see. You're trying to get a certain percentage of that husk off. And the rice that is used in this process is called sakamai. It could also be called shuzo kotemai. No, Kotekimai. Shuzo Kotekimai, sorry. My my font is rather small on my phone. He, he also wrote this in Kiragana on the notes, which is super fun. I copied it oh, <laughs> from okay. Wikipedia because I didn't want to have to go into my phone and do my Japanese keyboard. Um, <laughs> I took Japanese in high school, fun fact, so I do speak a little bit of it. But Sakamai is kind of the more common term that you're going to hear, and that is the term for the rice that is used in sake making. Fun fact, it's not standard white rice or mm. jasmine rice it is a there there are several varieties of rice that are used in this but most of those are not really considered suitable for table rice they are larger grains normally they have a softer center which actually makes them more permeable to the fermentation mold that's used in the process um, which we're not going to be getting into in this episode but just know so that this is a completely different type of rice altogether yeah, yeah. and you know a different Strains of rice are going to give you different flavor profiles, and that's going to be up to the brewer's expertise to know what they want. So you have this rice that's being ground down in a way, polished, and what is left of that process is called the semi buai, and that semi-buai. is okay. the percentage of remaining rice. So if you see seventy percent semi buai, that means that seventy percent of that grain, that original grain, is left. Okay, so now why would that matter when we're trying to go to the store and navigate whichever bottles that we're trying to grab? So the labeling system of sake, or at least for the premium styles of sake that we'll primarily be talking about here. So not like regular table sake. This yeah. is this is premium stuff. It, it still will factor into that, but typically at lower percentages or well higher percentages technically. Uh, more Harbors more, percentage more of rice this. left. Okay, so yes. especially since if it's not this specific type of rice that's being used, there wouldn't even be enough of a grain to polish down. Well, I, I guess there there kind of would be, but also keep in mind the smaller your rice polish, the more expensive the remaining sake or the ensuing sake will be mm. because you have to use more product to get the same amount of volume. Oh, I see. So as it's polishing, you have a certain amount of the rice itself that is just being turned into dust and then yeah. washed away. Yeah, you're not keeping that. You're not using so, that for anything. So the more premium or the stuff that has the the more expensive price point would be the stuff that had to use more initial rice in order to get the same amount of sake. Um it, it's not quite that cut and dry, but it, that is a factor. That is um, a factor? Yeah. You're also paying for the producer. You're paying for whatever processes they might have added into the um, – mm. whether it's made by hand or not. Like there there are uh, – it's like wine. There are a whole bunch of factors that will factor into the final price. But yes, this is a very important factor because if you're starting off with less raw material to begin with, obviously you're going to have to be charging more for it just to break even. I see. But – the reason all this is important, like I said, is this is kind of where your premium labeling system is based off of. Okay, so 
if I were to walk into a store and I'm like looking at a bunch of the different types, I'm seeing Jun Mai Shu, Hong Jozo Shu. What does any of that mean? All right. So let's go through this kind of just one by one, because I think that's the easiest way to break it down. Let's start with Jun Mai Shu. Okay. So Jun Mai Shu, you probably won't see Shu on the label. You'll probably just see Jun Mai. Mm. If you look at the kanji breakdown, kanji is um, the Chinese characters that were adopted into the Japanese language and are kind of treated as their own alphabet. Those are pictographs. If you break down the kanji, it means pure rice. So any rice polish that is 70% or less, in theory, can be labeled as Junmai. Mm. This will come into play later of, let's say you have something that could technically be considered like a ginjo, but the producer might want to still label it as a Junmai because they believe the flavor profile fits the Junmai label better. They can do that. So, oh, so there's, there's a little bit of wiggle room. You don't so have to label it. With each one of these, there's not only specific requirements on them, but there's also an expected flavor profile. And yeah. the labeling might be adjusted to fit the flavor profile itself. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it, this is kind of why I wanted to break this down is because sake can be very confusing yeah. if you're not familiar with it. But from what you're saying, it sounds like you would always kind of know what to expect mm-hmm. once you kind of get this labeling system down. Yeah, it, it helps a lot. So Junmai Shu is, again, a minimum of 70%. So anything mm-hmm. above that percentage, you can't label as Junmai. And what's the uh, what's the polish on that? Uh, so that will be 70% of the rice grain is left and 30% has been whittled away. Gotcha. Yeah. So what would our, our flavor profile on a Junmai Shu be? So Junmai are typically going to be a lot more um, earthy, a lot more cereal grain notes because, I mean, think about it. Rice, as I said earlier, is a grain, so it has grain-like flavors when it's turned into sake. So if you think about it logically, the more of that grain you have intact, the more of those grainy flavors are also intact. Yeah. So Junmai is typically going to be on the earthier spec- end of the spectrum. I think I-, I mentioned this either in the last episode or the episode before, but I think people kind of think sake is a neutral drink, and it's really not. Your very like high-volume table sakes definitely can be almost neutral. I'm, I'm getting all sorts of stuff off of what you, you yeah. just poured in my glass. Yeah, and this is um this is technically a futsushu, which we'll get into later. It's a honjozo as well. But these are very expressive styles of sake overall. Um, they tend to be a little bit fuller-bodied as well, in my experience. Uh, and they're also often served hot because these flavors can handle that. So if you aren't familiar sake is kind of one of the few forms of alcohol that actually is served hot traditionally yeah i think the the temperature is typically around like 84 degrees mm-hmm. or something like that yeah so then we move on to hanjozo shu okay. so if you look at the kanji it translates to genuine brew and this is also 70 percent or or less for the polish on the rice so 70 percent again remaining of the rice and this style of sake has a pure rice spirit added and this spirit is neutral okay so why would they add a spirit to it if they are already fermenting in the whole process it helps create a more delicate flavor profile overall so it's going to be a lighter style than a junmai so it's an extraction technique Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's helping pull out some of those higher tone notes and kind of softening the lower cereal 
notes that you would be getting on a Junmai. So when I say that there is spirit added, don't think of this like fortified wine where you're stopping a fermentation early or you're trying to really bump up the percentage. The amount that's added, I think legally, it's like less than 10% of the volume of the whole sake oh, wow. is allowed to be at the spirit is allowed to be added up to so that point. So it really is just to create more of a solution. Yes, it, it's only for that. It might raise the ABV by like 1%, but probably not even that in most cases. It really mm. is. It's a, it's a finishing technique. Think of it that way. Cause it happens. I see. It happens kind of towards the end of the sake making process when you're making this style of sake. So they, they have the sake. They've already gone through most of the steps and then they add this in at the end in order to kind of congeal the flavors, soften some of those earthier tones and then extract some of the more delicate flavors. Yeah. And bring them to the front. Yep. And this style can kind of be. Served at a variety of temperatures. So we're drinking a Honjolzo right now. Ours is, it, we, it started off slightly chilled. It's about room temperature right now after sitting yeah. in a glass for a couple minutes. But Classical room temperature, I would say. Yeah. And it's expressing very nicely. Oh my gosh, is this delightful. I've been sitting here <laughs> being very distracted. Again, this is this is laid back lush. Michael's distracted by whatever it is that game <laughs> just poured him. <laughs> so think of these two, your Junmais and your Honjolzos. Think of these as your bases for what we're going to be talking about on the premium sake scale. So the next step up is ginjoshu. Hmm. This means, or it, it, this is translated, sorry, from the kanji to special brew. This is 60% or less. So more delicate aromas. These typically are more kind of fruity. Sake can be very fruit forward. I have had some where it's literally like I, I bit into like a pineapple or something. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's the sort of fruit you'd be getting off of it, like pineapple. Um, Do you ever get like stone fruit or anything like that? It it, it depends entirely on the sake. Really? Sake can have very complex noses. Melon is one that a lot of people will call out for a lot of sakes, and I I do agree with that. Yeah. I have gotten pineapple. You can get really ripe pear, really ripe apple, kind of like, you know, a white wine. You can get, I've had white tea. I was going to say this one. Well, we'll talk about that later, but yeah, I've had white tea flavors in mine. I've had black tea f- flavors in sake. Um, sake so there really very... is a huge range mm-hmm. yeah. of, of flavors that you can get out of this. Mm-hmm. So Ginjo shoes will kind of start showing a little more of a baseline of fruit and then maybe some floral on top of that or other tea like flavors, like I just mentioned, or maybe, um, something kind of minerally because you have less of that raw earth husk flavor available to be extracted. Some of those more delicate ones can come forward a bit more mm-hmm. that would be overpowered by those in, yeah. in your uh, Honjozo or your Junmai. And this is best served cold normally. Okay. How cold are we talking? Um, I would say whatever you would serve like a medium bodied white wine at. So, okay. So like around like your fifties to sixties yeah. uh, or fifties up to 60, I would say, um, Fahrenheit. For, yeah. <laughs> for, sorry for, for any Europeans listening or somewhere else, you'll have to. The nice uh, and, and cold 54 yeah. degrees Celsius. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're sitting there going, Oh my gosh, you guys are drinking near boiling water. Um, so moving on from Ginjoshu though, then we get into Dai Ginjoshu. So this is kind of the top of your premium styles of sake. This is very special brew in the kanji. This is a 50% or less polish on the rice so you only have half of that original grain remaining more and more often 35 percent and even less is becoming more popular 
when you think about it from June Mai up to what we are at now, this is a very refined style of sake, typically very floral, highly aromatic. These also tend to be a very round body. Really? Yeah, I don't quite know. In my research, I couldn't really pin down what exactly was causing it, but that's just kind of what all the articles <laughs> I read about it said. If, expect, again, even more delicate. So fruit still underpinning everything, but you're going to be getting those floral, jasmine, chamomile, again, tea, aromas. That's ginjo and daiginjo shoes. So a honjozo or a junmai can fall into these categories as well. So you can have a junmai daiginjo or a junmai ginjo. Or if it's a honjozo, you typically won't see honjozo on the bottle. You'll just see ginjo or daiginjo. Mm. But you'll know because it does not have junmai that it will have that spirit added at the end of the process to extract more flavor. So junmai is just an indicator that you are not adding spirits to this. Correct. And you can typically expect a earthy profile that mm -hmm. needs to be warmed or can be warmed in order to serve uh for for ginjo and daiginjo i wouldn't necessarily say that's true because remember you still are getting more polish off of that oh i see so Rice we, we still don't have that so with with ginjo and the daiginjo junmai it's just simply that they didn't add that stuff correct so you might still have a little bit rougher edges on it overall but it will still be increasingly more delicate and aromatic as mm. you go up on that scale. So no matter what, Ginjo and Dai Ginjo, you're looking at a delicate fruit-forward profile that also has some floral notes that are increasing with the Dai Ginjo. Mm -hmm. yeah. I see. Moving on from that, so that is kind of your base, um, not pyramid, but your two parallel premium styles yeah, because i know out. that there are a lot of other products that are made mm -hmm. with rice uh, yeah. we were discussing even earlier something that was made from the byproduct of rice that we'll be talking about likely in our next episode when we get into more of how sake is made mm -hmm. but what are some of these other styles so we have nigori and nigori is unfiltered sake technically speaking there is a filtration step in this kind of sake but we're not going to get into that we actually um, sold a lot of these uh, back when I was working in sales. Yeah. Um, so from Oregon, I think they were. The These are pretty popular amongst American drinkers because they are considered more of a dessert style. And we've mentioned countless times on this podcast that Americans tend to drink sweeter styles of alcohol overall. So this is typically a dessert style. It's considered a dessert style. It is usually a low semi-buai because there is essentially rice pulp in this drink. It will settle to the bottom, and you're supposed to shake up the bottle when you... Uh, oh, so you're supposed to actually drink the sediment. Yes, you are supposed to drink the sediment. There are some styles of nigori that are so thick, you almost have to eat them with a spoon. And they're meant to be that way. It, I'm not going to lie, that sounds delicious, Yeah, but like in a weird way. Yeah, um, so these are typically going to have a very low polish on them, because if you're going to have all this sediment in the first place, what's the point of using a high-polished rice? There really isn't one. Then we have... Uh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, but are we... Are we still talking fruit? Are we? I mean, what are we talking about here? Nigori can really vary. It mm. it, it depends on the producer, honestly. Mm. Um, I've had some again because they're sweeter. You are probably going to be hitting more on the fruit character, but because of the low rice polish, you can also still have a lot of that very complex cereal undertone to the sake as well. Again, it's kind of a producer driven thing, and you kind of just it would. It's best to probably read the label and see yeah. if there's a description on well, there. Well, I know the ones that we were selling were infused, which is 
one of the few reasons why I don't even count it as a sake experience because it's, mm-hmm. it's an infused sake. And yeah. I'm sure that there are some craft sakes out there where they are infusing. Mm-hmm. But in the case of the Nigori, it was it, they had like different things, melon, that sort of thing. Yeah. But I'm not sure if I've ever had one that was just a regular Nigori unfiltered sake without mm-hmm. any sort of additive to it. No, I know a couple. Maybe I'll bring you one next episode. Or at least tell <laughs> me about them since since you grabbed this one. We have Namazake next. Which is an unpasteurized sake. Sake is normally pasteurized. It's made with mold, so there is microbiological stuff going on in there, just like wine. This needs to be refrigerated, and this can also be any of the aforementioned styles of sake. Okay. Uh, there is really no... Like, it doesn't have to be a Junmai or a Honjozo or a Daiginja or whatever. It can, so it, it can be anything. Literally, it's just that it hasn't been pasteurized, so yes. please keep this refrigerated. Mm-hmm. And it's known for having, like, a very fresh aroma and taste. Something also to know about this. Sake can keep a lot better than wine overall. Really? Yeah. I don't know exactly what it is. I It just is less prone to oxidation. It still will happen. Your sake can still go stale, but it, it will last longer than your average wine will. Um, at least your young, early drinking styles of wine. This one, though, drink pretty quickly if you do get your hands on one yeah. after you open it. Because unpasteurized. You, unpasteurized. You risk it spoiling. Then we get to Tokubetsu Sake. This one I'm excited about because this is one of the few ones that I've done just a teensy bit of reading on. Mm-hmm. And it seems as though it would be yeah, fun. It, it's a very nebulous term. I will say that. Tokubetsu just means special. Just special. So if any step of the sake making process is different from the norm or if like a very particular rice maybe was used or something about the sake is special that the brewer wants you to know this is a special sake that I am creating, they will put this tokubetsu When I was doing my brief reading, there seemed to be this constant air of secrecy Mm -hmm. surrounding what made something tokubetsu and and that's kind of i think the allure of the term sake brewers are very protective of like everything in their process we'll get into that next episode when we talk about the production so this term from what i've heard it can be hit or miss because you don't really know what is special about it so it might not be what you're looking for but hey it could be a surprise and obviously if someone's going to do the effort to make something special about the sake they're not making bad sake at least i would hope not so mm-hmm. you're probably going to get something quality just if you don't know what's special about it you don't know what's special about it but there is something special about it I, I, I hate being so vague about this but it's a very vague term like i said so that's just interesting because at that point if it says tokubetsu you don't know what choice that they made they mm-hmm. don't you don't know why they made it until you experience it for yourself yeah that's actually a really exciting like prospect when you pick up a bottle of sake and you see tokubetsu especially if you've already gone through you've tried your junmai you've tried your honjozo you've mm-hmm. tried your ginjo you've tried your dai ginjo you then have the opportunity to try and figure out what it is that's different about this yeah and just let your imagination run wild Mm -hmm. yeah it's really cool we don't i haven't really seen any around here but i I do want to start keeping an eye out when i go out shopping i need to drink more sake before i'll be able to appreciate it (laughs) i have i have my map now (laughs) so moving on from that we have futsushu which um think of futsushu as the equivalent of like if you've had a red table wine it's a non-premium style of sake I don't even know if it has a minimum requirement on the polish for it. 
I would just of... typically be drunk. Oh, I thought you said I'll typically be drunk. No. <laughs> hey, none of that. No. Not on this podcast. Not on this podcast. No. Drink responsibly. Yes. Um, uh, so Futsushu, if you just want, like, it, it's, I would say the same circumstance you would drink a red table wine. You want something that's quaffable, probably not with a meal. Like a red table wine or a super light beer. Yeah. You just kind of want to drink something nice and refreshing. That's kind of what the style is typically going to be it will not be super high quality there are some very good futsushu out there technically what we're drinking right now is a futsushu but Hmm. if we were to compare this because this brand does have some higher levels i can guarantee if we were to line it up next to like their ginjo or their daiginjo you would notice a very clear quality difference um that's not to say this is bad but again these are these are not meant to be very high quality sakes they're just meant to be easy quaffing easy drinking styles of sake a lot of producers use it as they're the bulk of their sake production just because um, it's a good yeah. cash cow kind of to yeah. keep them in business. You have to have something out there that is just high volume that people mm-hmm. will be able to buy at a at a lower price at a lower production value. Yeah. Or a higher production value, lower production cost. There we go. Mm-hmm. And then like you brought up infused sakes. That's just uh, a sake that's been infused with something. Typically, I've seen yuzu lemon, some kind of melon and coconut are kind of the one the primary ones Ooh. I have seen. I, I've only had like two of these, I think they're not really my thing personally. Yeah. Um, But I I think it kind of depends on such a purist. (laughs) Well, to me, it masks all the interesting flavors when you just dominate it with like yuzu or something. Yeah. Well, especially if you're looking for the profile of a specific brewing process or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, the specific grain or something like that i could understand why that would be kind of like well this is not why i'm interested in this exactly so that kind of goes over all of our labeling terms that i wanted to cover there are a few other things that you might see on the label that will help you navigate sake a little bit as well because i do know that like with wine we have our our sweet our semi-sweet and Mm -hmm. all that stuff and you mentioned that there's certain styles that are sweeter than others. So there there have to be some other indicators to kind of tell us whether or not there's going to be a, a sweeter or less sweet profile mm-hmm. or something along those lines or even, uh, you know, serving temps. Yeah. What you have for your sweetness, sake overall is sweeter than wine. That's not to say, let me phrase it this way. I think most sakes that you'll try will probably fit in the off dry to medium dry category in wine. Mm. There are very dry sakes and there are very sweet sakes. So most sake will have on the label, uh, this one actually does not have it, but uh, it's called the Nihonshudo in Japanese, but it's also called the sake meter value or the SMV. And it is a scale that goes from negative three to positive 10. And it's calculated from the specific gravity of sake. It's a process that allows you to measure the sugar and the alcohol content of the Ooh, sake. So that, that's modern. what you're doing. Yeah, it's very, it's a very mathematically driven way, but it's also a very accurate way of kind of knowing what you're going to be getting. No, that I bottle. love that. So negative three is your sweet, the farthest on your sweet end. And then positive 10 is the most on your dry. I see. Labels also typically have a recommended. At least in my experience, they have a recommended serving temperature on the label itself. So if you're still a little confused about what style would go best with what temperature, 
good chance that the bottle somewhere has a recommendation for you already. Perfect, because at that point, you're able to kind of go in with a little bit more confidence. You don't necessarily need to be well-versed in this in order to enjoy a bottle of sake. Exactly. You can literally just follow the instructions on the bottle. Yeah, once you get down your, you know, Junmai versus Honjozo, Daiginjo, Ginjo, once you get that down, the bottle typically will help you handle the rest. Alrighty, so uh, now that we've kind of gone through how to navigate these bottles, we hope that you have a chance to go in and select one. I'm really excited to be able to talk about this Bon Ryu that you you brought in for us today. I've been enjoying it this entire recording session. Let's let's take a look at this. So the region uh, Yamagata. What do we know about this? So this is the Eko Fuji Bon Ryu Hanjozo. The Baru, I believe, is what translates to 10,000 Ways, and the philosophy behind this bottle was to help express the 10,000 Ways that sake can be expressed. That was the concept of the brewer in making this. Technically speaking, at least from the text sheet that I got this off of, the grade is a futsushu, so this this would count as a table sake. Wow, this yeah. is this is the sort of flavor profile that I can expect from this. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, when you start getting outside of like your, uh, well, I don't want to call it any brands, but you probably, there's two or three sakes I could list that you probably have seen before on a shelf. And one of them might have the means of opening it on the actual mm-hmm. short bottle. Yeah. Uh, and those ones are super high volume. Again, they're almost neutral in how their flavor profile ends up because they're so mass marketed. But this is not that. The semi buoy on this is 65 this is much more fruit forward than yeah. than cereal forward, but you there's still it's there. You can smell it. It's there more on the palate for me than yeah. on the nose. Yeah, I get it a lot more on the palate. Mostly on the nose, I'm getting more of like that melon. But as soon as it hits my tongue, I'm, it's kind of rounded out by that more uh, oaty flavor. Mm-hmm. So the Nihonshudo or the sake meter value, the sweetness indicator, is plus one. So this is actually more towards the sweet end but it's not it doesn't read as very sweet no this is very well balanced yeah i really All it really does really is like it give it a really good texture i would i would say that the texture is a lot like um like coconut water actually mm-hmm. texture not flavor i forgot to mention earlier sake is going to typically run you 15 to 17 maybe even 18 percent. it's higher than wine yeah um <laughs> so be be a little careful uh if you're sensitive to wine or you have a low tolerance but drink this, responsibly. This is a 15%, 15.3 to be specific. This was actually made with table rice. So something I forgot to mention for fusuchu earlier is table rice can be used for fusuchu. That's part of why it's not in the category of premium sake. I see. So it is Yamagata table rice, to be specific. It was uh, twice pasteurized, so it's not going to be your namazake obviously yeah style of well filter i mean this is this is clear drink i Mm -hmm. see not even trace elements of any sort of sediment whatsoever as far as these eyes can tell i did want to highlight the importer so the importer on this wine is a company called joto Mm. j-o-t-o this is my third third or fourth sake that i have bought from them as an importer and I looked them up specifically for this episode because I was very curious about them. And their mission is basically to bring high-quality sake to an American market, which is so what I'm about. I'm a huge sake apologist, as you guys have already probably picked up. I really wish it was gaining more traction in the United States. I will scream about it till the cows come home. 
They try to work with family-owned breweries and import their stuff to the United States. So they're working with quality producers and even their own Joto. They have their own line of sake that I guess they contract out from some of these companies. Even just their base-level Joto brand stuff is very good. Hmm. They have a, I believe it's a Ginjo and a Nigori that are sold at Wegmans. I also got this from Wegmans, the Banryu. And... All of them have been very impressive to me so far. Yeah. So I really enjoy this importer. I think they're doing a great job. And I just wanted to highlight them as a company and say thank you for trying to bring good sake to the American market because we desperately need it. No, this is absolutely delightful. I am very impressed with this. Like I said, I get the melon. I get it rounded out by those more cereal notes. Mm -hmm. The acidity is right where it needs to be in order to... I wouldn't say overpowered, but it's almost just on the edge of being there in order to take away from that sweetness. Yeah, sake in general is much less acidic than wine. It's not quite as, you know, instantly mouthwatering effect that wine will have. Uh, But yeah, you're right. It's more of a balanced thing for acidity in sake. Well, it is with wine too, but it's it's just not as high levels to balance out a sake. This is so smooth. And the heat does not read, Mm -hmm. like, at all. You have to try for the heat to read. Yeah. There's also just a kind of general white flower bouquet, I would say. Um, Maybe getting into, like, chamomile, but not quite that that intense. I would say, like, like an unsweet daylily. mm -hmm. Yeah, like, you just kind of walk by a garden bed and something hits you. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Really beautiful mouthfeel, like you said. The the nose... So a, another thing about sake that I think people kind of overlook sometimes, the nose can be very strong on sake. I smelled this from like a foot away having yeah. poured it. And as soon as you get your nose in the glass, it's just screaming at you. So uh, I, I this is a very nice sake, especially for being a futsushu. Very impressed. So, Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. If you do end up picking up a sake and you particularly enjoy it send it to us on our instagram as a dm at laidback lush at laidback lush also please follow us on twitter at laidback lush uh in order to get our constant updates and our bragging and our gratitude and our controversial wine opinions and our con- yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but anyways we we wanted to really thank you guys for joining us for this episode um yeah. Spread the good word of sake. Spread to the all good of your word friends. of sake. And we'll, we will be returning in our next episode with the brewing process of sake, where we can get into a little bit more of this and hopefully uh, shed some light on this beautiful craft. Yes. So thank you so much. This is Laid Back Lush. I'm Michael. I'm Gabe. Cheers. Cheers.